you guys ready up there? Hello, and welcome to the WIFT podcast. This is Vanessa Gilday, Vice Chair of Women in Film and Television Ireland. Recently, our board member Yara Waldeck was in conversation with composer Natasha Paulberg about her musical career to date. Natasha is an award-winning Australian-Irish composer, performer and conductor who writes music for film, gaming, trailers, TV, advertising and the concert hall. This online talk has been made possible thanks to the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. Yarrow began by asking Natasha how she became a film composer. For me, it was like quite a kind of, it was kind of a convoluted, I think convoluted way. I didn't actually, you know, think I'd become a film composer. It wasn't something that I was like, you know, I loved film, I loved music, but it wasn't, I kind of fell into it slowly. It was a long journey that I had to kind of, for me, I think it's like the universe is kind of giving you things that you need as you go along to get to where you need to go. Every step of the way is important to the final end. So, you know, I started off, you know, in musical family, piano, singing, cello, flute, did a whole bunch of instruments, did my, all my music grades and theory as well. And it was more like, for example, for me, I didn't go straight into music at all. I went into science. I became an osteopath first. Which oh, wow. I know many That's people. Nice. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those things. It was like I loved music, and I did music all the way, like to Year Twelve back in Australia. But I also loved the sciences, and it was one of those things of like I really want to do composition, but I like science. And and my parents were kind of like, "Look, get a real job." <laughs> <laughs> I think all of our parents say that, don't they? <laughs> they really do, and they're like, "I was like, get a real job first, you know, or a job, get a degree in something else, and then you know, go back to the, uh, to your music." So that's what I kind of did. I went and became an osteopath and pretty much straight away after I finished my education in Australia, I went backpacking around the world as a lot of Australians do at that time and uh, ended up in Ireland. I wasn't going to stay at all. Like I was like, oh, I'll just stay here for a year, work somewhere. Actually, I I was going to work as an osteopath. I did work as an osteopath. And then I'll keep going. But I just fell in love with the country and I ended up, you know, one more year, one more year. And it's like... More than 15 years later, I'm still here. So that was just a happy accident. Um, and while I was here, I got back into, because I, you know, had kind of done uh, some performance while I was at college back in Australia. I was like um, doing weddings, singing mm-hmm. for orientation week while everyone was getting drunk, you know, playing the piano <laughs> <laughs> at uni. Um, and then I came here and I started doing the same thing, piano, bar, um, music. And then one of my friends was like, oh, I'm going to do this master's in music and media technologies. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this looks fantastic. I, I think I might try, apply for it as well and see what happens. So I applied. You know, I got in. Um, okay, what's this, Natasha? What school, what school was this at? Oh, so that was in Trinity. Trinity College. Okay. Yeah. And so that was a two-year master's. And that was an absolute, I mean, you know, I'd come back from an acoustic come from an acoustic concert world background Mm -hmm. so this was music and media so there's a lot of technology like it was composition orchestration all the the typical things you need to write music orchestral music I should say but then there's a lot of music technology so for some I mean this is a long-winded way how I got into film but this comes to the point of what skills we need as film composers so Mm -hmm. you know I came into it pretty much just using word you know word microsoft that was it and went straight into coding, I went into music technology, 
using logic. So it was like baptism by fire, I call it. <laughs> That's a brilliant description. It, it really was. I, it was tough. It was a, it was a real tough um, masters, but it was the absolute making of me. Absolutely yeah. changed my life. So I did that. And while I was doing that, I was still doing the um, you know, piano bar, weddings, things like that. And one of the guys I did a wedding for, he ended up becoming a director. Okay. And that's how he, so he contacted me and he was like, hey, do you want to do, you know, I'm doing a, a film, a short film. Would you like to do some music? And I was like, wow, I've never done this before, but I've got, you know, I've learned all this technology, you know, I can record, I can do all this stuff. So I did his, a couple of his films. Mm-hmm. That's my, that was my first really foray into film scoring. And then it was after, um, after that, that I was like, I love doing this. I love, you know, and for me, like a big film was like The Piano by Michael Nyman. Yeah. That really, I don't know, that was a bit of a life-changing moment too when I just was like, this is what I want to create, this amazing, beautiful music that touches the soul. But not, not only that, it tells a story as well. Mm-hmm. So after that, I was offered another master's actually that turned into a PhD mm-hmm. with the gaming company Haunted Planet Studios when they were first a startup company. Mm-hmm. Then during that time, um, there used to be, um, I think it was Fourth Island did masterclasses with composers and industry people from Los Angeles. Okay. So they were doing a couple of masterclasses in Dublin and one of them was Gary Scheinman and the other one was Christopher Young. And so they were like, you know, and this is the other thing I always want to talk about is I think as creatives, we're quite, I'm definitely like naturally an introvert. And so it's kind of learning to actually come out of yourself and meet people. So that's what I did with these guys. I was like, you know what? I really, this is beautiful stuff. I want to, I want to know more about it. So I remember I went up to both of them at separate times, obviously. I was like, I really, which is really scary. You know, these are big composers. And I said, look, I, what should I do? To, I want to get into this more. What should I do? You know, I've done a couple of short films for a friend, but, you know, I need to really learn the craft. And they were like, in their American accents, you got to go to LA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I was like, geez, how am I going to get to LA? I don't have the money to go to LA. I don't have, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get there. So... Uh, this is a time I got an email. So I was doing kind of doing the PhD and I got an email and there was a Fulbright scholarship. That mm-hmm. the, so when, with the Fulbright, Fulbright scholarship, they do advertise it through all the universities. So I got this email and it was like, you can study in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing again, I, you know, I think, and this is what I want to touch about, like me, maybe it's me, maybe it's being female. I don't know, but there's this sense of like, oh, I'm not good enough for that. I couldn't do that. That's mm-hmm. too scary. Or mm-hmm. so anyway, I was like, oh, geez, that's a really, um, that's a pretty long shot. I don't know if I'll, I'll go for that scholarship. And then a friend of mine applied for it. And I was like, well, hang on a second. If she's going to apply for it, what am, what am I, why don't I just have, have a go, chance my arm? And I ended up getting the scholarship. So that's wow. how it all, I went to LA, went to UCLA, and that was the real start mm-hmm. of my film scoring career. So very long-winded answer there, like, the convoluted way how we finally got there. Wonderful. I feel I feel like I know you better now. Yeah. Um, I know when we spoke previously, you told me that learning the f- film scoring in in U- at UCLA, that was really a different world. This is where you you realize that it is an actual craft. 
So I want to ask you, do you think that uh, for people who want to become music composers for films, who want to write music for films, would you recommend going to school for this? Or do you think uh, that it's possible to take a different path? There is, there does seem to be sometimes a bit of debate about this in the industry. And I think the debate comes from where your, what your background is. Um, so for example, I would say for, if you want to be working with orchestras, absolutely. You really, first of all, you need to, you need to know your craft. You need to have a music education and film scoring in particular, because, and my colleague and I were just talking about the other day, it's the ideas of reading the scene. That is a skill that not everybody has. Some people have it naturally. And sometimes even when you, some people just don't even have it naturally, even after, you know, it's, it's a feeling, it's a way of seeing a picture, seeing what it needs. And there's intuition, but there's also um, your educational background. So things of how do you approach it? Where are your hit points? Where, where do you want the music to weave in and then weave out? Where should it be quiet? And why should it be quiet? So for example, you know, you learn skills in film scoring, such as say, for example, during dialogue, you don't want to have melodic lines during dialogue because yeah. it just interferes. It takes the viewer's attention away from what's actually happening, what's being said. So that's when you use sustained strings, say, or any sustained sound or mm -hmm. something less complicated, like a rhythm or a sustain. Whereas, um, what's my turn? So there. Oh, another thing too is also during dialogue is you have to try, try and stay out of the frequency range of dialogue. Okay. So that's like a, a sound issue. So for example, usual vocals are kind of, you know, the lower end, like, you know, six, 700 to kind of 5,000 hertz. That's mm -hmm. a musical term, but anyway, a sound term. So you try and have instruments that are either lower than that usually or higher. So it mm -hmm. doesn't interfere because it's, you know, you think about film is, you know, you've got your visual space, but you also have sonic space. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to just fill that sonic space because it's been taken up by sound effects, background noise, dialogue. So these are all the things I believe you, you could learn this on the job. You could as an assistant composer to somebody. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people go through it that way, which is absolutely fine as well. I think personally, I wonder if it might take a bit longer to learn yes. it that way. Mm -hmm. I think you know, it's like one or, well, usually the most masters or certificates or whatever are a year, maybe one of a couple, couple of them are a couple of years uh, long. Um, but that will fast track your learning. And then after that, if you want to become an assistant and more and more these days, I'd say there's a lot of film school, of uh, film scoring schools that are opening because I think they've realized that there is a market for a lot of composers who are realizing, oh, I want to get the education. So mm -hmm. it's also reading the, the scene, but it's also technology. Yeah. So this is my whole thing about, I'm so glad I did that first master's, even though it was at times, hell on earth, it was so hard. <laughs> it just helped me so much. So if you, mm -hmm. if you come from a music production background, that's really helpful too, because these days you're not just a composer, you're also a producer, an engineer, a mix engineer. So you have to know all these things and almost be like a one person band, you know, Yes. <laughs> so I would say for me, I would say, yes, if, if you have the opportunity, uh, learn the craft as much as you can. There's also online courses, you know, Berkeley. I did a couple of Berkeley courses before I actually went to UCLA in preparation because I felt, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't want to just go to UCLA and 
come in knowing absolutely nothing about film scoring. So you could do online courses. Um, so I would say yes, but maybe someone who's a rock musician, for example, you know, they don't want to write for, or they won't want to write for orchestral music. So they could maybe do it, you know, a different way. But even though it's interesting to say that even though you see scores that are done by people who come from, say, pop or rock. They usually have a composer who knows about film that's actually helping them. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wonderful. I, I actually come from the academic background as well when it comes to cinematography. So I, I always recommend studying it. And even though I know it's possible to become a cinematographer uh, from scratch, but I just felt that, you know, it kind of jumpstarts your, your career uh, and it, yeah. it saves you a lot of time learning this as an assistant somewhere. Exactly. So I see where you're coming from there. <laughs> Natasha, what I'm interested in is uh, how do you, so, so when you decided you wanted to be a film score composer, and then you you returned back to Ireland from from LA. How did you manage to actually get that work? How did you approach finding people to to give you films to to score? Yeah, it was it was uh, it was a challenge because definitely you know I I wanted to originally stay in LA, um, and I could have you know I was offered to you know jobs and visas, but I had to come back and finish my PhD. <laughs> At Trinity so that was one of the reasons but it actually worked out better that I came back that was hard uh, and this probably is advice for anyone not just film uh, score composers but anyone trying to get into industry the, one of the first things I did actually it's funny because Derville was on last week and Derville is actually one of the first people I spoke to when I came back well, did, I she, was just, did you ask her to meet you yeah well we had a mutual friend just lucky that we had a mutual friend and She's very generous with her time. Um, so we met up and we just talked and, you know, she gave me a few pointers of what I should do. And um, it, that was really, really helpful. So I think as soon as for anyone, just if you have any connection with anyone in the film industry, just have a coffee. You'd, and you'll be surprised that if you contact people, how many people are quite happy to talk to you. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's this, you know, you feel kind of bad or oh, I don't want to take this person's time, but people do like helping others. Like I would love to meet with, well, now distance coffee with anyone like to talk about whatever, um, you know, in any way that I can help. So that was the first thing I did, but also the big thing was the film network Ireland group. Mm -hmm. I went to a few of those, um, it was like Christmas drinks and things like that and just met a whole lot of people. So my biggest thing would be meet as many people as you can. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, be, um, and LA taught me that. Actually, I, that was the other thing about going to LA. And I would say to anyone, if you're very lucky and I'm very grateful for what I experienced is to go to LA just for a little while, just to kind of see how the industry works, see what mm -hmm. people do, see the standards as well of, of um, filmmaking. Mm -hmm. um, because it really taught me tools on networking. You can't be shy in LA. Yes. <laughs> that, that's what it taught me. Don't be shy. So I just networked a lot. I just had coffee with people, went to film festivals. And would you believe, I remember there was one networking event that I went to. I got like eight films out of that. It was, wow. <laughs> it was not, on the, on, not on the night, but it was like within the next year or 18 months because people, you know, remember you. And the other thing is too, is to keep going to things, keep, keep in contact with people so they just know what you're doing 
that you create a friendship. And I think the other thing is important too is friendship always comes first. Like I always emphasize, I like everyone I meet. You know, they're my friends. They became, they became my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but it takes time. I would also say, it, you know, it's taken time, a lot of time. So some people I've met, I remember my first film in LA, I met the guy, an Australian director actually, but it was not for another 18 months that he came back to me with a film. It's like, yeah. <laughs> so you just have to be patient. Yes, okay. I, I have similar uh, experience uh, um, with somebody coming back to me two years later. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> I answered an ad. Um, somebody was looking for a director of photography. I asked for show, they asked for show reel and CV, so I sent it. And it's actually during the lockdown a few weeks ago, I, I heard back from the, from the fella and uh, he just picked up where we left off and just saying, <laughs> okay, I'm going to start shooting it <laughs> in August. Uh, when are you free? <laughs> it's so true. It's so, and I think if we just re- remember that filmmaking takes a long time, you know, mm-hmm. things can be five years, t- years down the track and then they come to you. And I think, um, so I think it's just like you were saying, just patient waiting um, and keeping in contact with people, social media, let people know what you're, what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's, it, we're funny things. If we, if, you know, we need to see people regularly mm-hmm. to remember them, I think. Yes. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, that's why I do go back to LA. Well, not now, obviously, <laughs> you know, I was supposed to be there now, but anyway, mm-hmm. um, you know, I go back to LA two, three times a year, purely just to reconnect with people. And it makes a difference, it makes a difference. Just they see your face, they have a chat and they don't forget you. Mm-hmm. That's a great advice. I appreciate that. Um, so Natasha, how do you, so what you said that you picked up uh, eight films from one, uh, one networking event. So if you have a director, maybe a first time director and they come to you with a project, how do you approach, how do you approach it? How do you decide that you want to do the project? And uh, what is the subsequent communication with the director? How do you find a common language to, to figure out what kind of music the director wants? Um, I think it's, it's interesting. It's different. It can be different every time, I think. Well, initially, one bit of advice for anyone, again, not just composing everything, is I pretty much said yes to everything <laughs> when I was first starting out. And that's one advice I'd give to people, like, you know, just say yes to everything, figure out how to do it later. Even if you, I call it, I have a bit of imposter syndrome, but it's like, you sometimes I'll see things and like, I have no idea, no idea, but I'm just going to go for it and say, yeah, give me, give me a shot. I have to say that's a, that's a very male approach, isn't it? I think women tend to not go for things if they don't feel fully qualified. Exactly. Exactly. It's so, so true that, and it's something that, I think it comes from practice because I think for me, I just kept seeing, well, guys, I suppose guys, you know, if we digress slightly a little bit there and I see it as well with, I lecture, I teach composition as well for Mm -hmm. film students. And I see it again and again, uh, you know, the females, we are quieter in in class, even in the class, don't ask the questions and the guys are much more vocal. And also in talking about our work, the, the girls would be much more, oh, it's okay. It's not, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. you know, I'll do better next time. Whereas the guys are like, yeah, I'm really proud of this. And it's a great piece of work. <laughs> and, 
<laughs> which is fine. But then I look at the work because I'd assessed their work and I'm like, oh my gosh, um, you know, her work's really good. It's probably actually better than his. And yet they're not selling themselves. So I think LA taught me that. It, it mm-hmm. pushed me out of my comfort zone big time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember what we were talking about now. Oh, oh. No, so, so when, yeah, when a director comes to you, how do you approach the film uh, or the work to start with? How do you find a common language? So initially you, I, obviously they send me the film and I watch it and it depends. Sometimes it has a temp track. Sometimes it has no music. Um, usually I try and ask them if there's no music just ask them questions like what kind of style do you think this is what instruments have you got any instruments in mind or if they really don't know i'm like well send me what what are your favorite films what are your sort of favorite soundtracks so it gives me an idea of what they're potentially looking for and i think some directors are very very clear in what they want mm-hmm. um and we and and that's great as well and some really can't express what they want but this is one thing I've learned even though people can't express what they want deep down they know it when they hear it mm-hmm. yeah. so it's that's a, that's a tricky one sometimes because you're you're trying to figure out what's in their mind or what you know and that's the joy of it when you hit on it and they're like that's it and you're like oh fantastic you but know? that can take a long time sometimes that's the only issue I would say that takes longer whereas mm-hmm. if you have some ideas that quickens it as well and then we would mm-hmm. sit down and we spot the film so that's a really important thing where you sit down and you're like okay music should start here and then it should in and out points of the music okay so and you these do this with the director at the same same sitting yes yeah mm-hmm. usually i'll have them come over here and we'll watch it i will spend you know a couple of hours more maybe you know mm-hmm. depending on time and how long the film is and you look for in and out points and also i like to hear about what's his character feeling right now? What's the mood? Is it, is she scared or is he scared or is it aggressive? So you get an idea of what's the mood of the scene. Because sometimes I can get it wrong. Like I can be like, she looks angry, but maybe she's scared or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. So I like to know what's going on in each scene. So that's how we usually start. And then I go off and I start writing cue by cue. So usually I try and think of themes. Okay. what is the theme? What's, what, is there a melody here or is it just a shorter motif? But the first thing before I even start that is um, instrumentation. What are the instruments? What am I going to use? Okay, you know, and that's, that's something you, you decide uh, or, or would the, the director impose their vision on, on that? Or is it an open discussion? It's A bit of everything. Sometimes they're just like, I hate the flute. Okay. <laughs> no use of flute. I'm like, okay, no flute. You know, so, you know, I, oh, I like piano. I like strings. Most people seem to always really like the cello, which is nice because I play mm-hmm. the cello. So it's like piano and strings seems to be a popular one. But usually uh, I, w- I maybe suggest something or they have very clear ideas um, or I write some stuff and mm-hmm. then they give me feedback. So that's mm-hmm. how it is. It's, I like a, co- it's a very collaborative, well, I enjoy the collaborative process actually because it's you write some music for a scene and I send it to them then you get feedback what works what doesn't work and that's Mm -hmm. the exciting part because it's like you get a different view they they, I mean directors sometimes what I find is give great music direction and have great music ideas without actually having a music background because it's very Mm -hmm. intuitive for them Mm -hmm. so sometimes they'll say something I'll be like I don't know if that's 
I don't know if that's going to work. I don't think that's going to work. But I tried anyway, and then it works. And I'm like, well, you were right. It worked really well. <laughs> well, I actually have an interesting question here from one of our listeners that I think would fit perfectly. It's from Kevin Cray. I hope I pronounced the name right. Um, he's asking, what if you vehement, vehemently disagree with the choice of the director? Um, I just wonder, like, as a cinematographer, I also sometimes get to a point where I picture a certain scene um, differently than the director. What do you do then? Do you keep going the way they want, even though inside maybe it's telling you this is not right? I mean, yes, that has happened. It doesn't happen too often, which is good. Usually when you click as people, you, you usually click, click with vision as well, mm -hmm. I, I find. Well, it, it, it's tricky. It is tricky. And it's one of those things when you're like, this is a job, you know, it is a job. This is my job to fulfill the director's vision. So yeah. I think when you think of it that way, and a big thing I think for composers is we need to put the ego out of our music. Mm -hmm. It's just, you just leave it at the door and you just, the music, oh, sorry, the film is this director's baby. That's mm -hmm. how I see it. It's their it's their creative child that they've been working on. So yeah. that's my job. I feel it to fulfill their vision. And even though I don't agree with it, uh, it's more painful. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a more painful process. Um, and I've had, you know, I have had a film that I had to do that and I didn't agree with the choices and I, I thought it took away from the film. Mm -hmm. But you just like, you do the best you can. And I did, you voice your opinions mm -hmm. and then if they're like, no, 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 no. And then you just do your job. I think there's, that's, that's the way it is, yeah. That's very interesting. But it doesn't happen often. It doesn't happen that often, actually. I, when I was in film school, um, the, our professors were telling us that a cinematographer is the servant of the director. And our biggest job is to uh, talk them out of bad decisions. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that... I, I didn't then understand exactly what that meant, but sometimes in movies you, you do really feel that, that us, the material wants to go a certain way. Yeah. And I feel that uh, it is my duty to try to steer it in a certain direction where, I, where I'm, I'm fighting for the film and I feel that that would be the best for the film. But at some point when you offer, uh, you have to be very diplomatic and when you offer... Yes. Certain different ideas and approaches. Uh, if they are not accepted, then absolutely let it go. Do your job, and uh, uh, and then just you know may, maybe that also teaches you something. You know, um, exactly. and and actually, I have to say, if, whenever if this has happened, it usually ended up in better. Um, relationship with the director for further projects, or you know, where I felt that. They, you know, it was felt that I was uh, like hoping for the best for the movie. Exactly. Uh, so. I think, I mean, it must be different. I'm seeking for cinematography though, at least with, with music, we're in post-production. So, you know, I would do, you know, like, like you kind of like very tactfully, I would say, okay, I'll do what you've asked me to do, but how about if I just do a, another version for you to listen to, you know, right. that's a way, but I suppose in cinematography, you can't really, do that you don't have the time to be like oh let's do it I this think that, yeah there the more you do in prep the better uh the better guarantee is that 
it's gonna happen during pre during production you know yeah. whereas for you you come so you come to material that's fully formed or do you also compose for movies that are only in script form um i don't it, the norm is post i usually come in at post but like now what i'm working on is i've come at the editing stage very early editing stage mm -hmm. so which is a bit different so i've been writing well actually kind of giving music my music to use as temp as they're editing which may end up staying in the final version and some parts will have will be rescored or whatever so this is a bit different but normally normally it's in post and mm -hmm. i i kind of um i prefer post actually i don't mind having my music used as you know temp but i like post because when you see a script it can be quite different you imagine it a certain way and then when you see it on screen it could be different which is going to change potentially change the tone of the music as well yes i prefer and my i have like a couple of that's another thing i'd say to people mentors mentors are really good so mm -hmm. one of my mentors in la his advice is like wait for close to locked picture before mm -hmm. really writing because you just what you imagine might not might be quite different mm -hmm. to what it ends up being yeah yes and natasha i actually have to i have to um tell you i i uh, shot a short film which was edited by a brilliant uh, editor um, um brie drowley and yes. um I was just really impressed with um, how how she was able to collaborate with you uh, on maybe bridging some scenes that that needed that that musical support to make the transitions more powerful. And uh, I I was gonna just ask you, um, is that something that you like that when you get to collaborate with editors? Say you said you're currently working on a on a project that's in editing. Do you? Do you want to be approached or, or you don't need it, but you appreciate it? What, what can change for your work uh, if you are consulted? I mean, it is nice if you can do it when they're, and like working with Brige and uh, Patricia, as we know as well, you know, on, on, um, on that film, is that it was nice to work because then they could, they kind of cut to the music and then I shifted the music and we were able to kind of smooth certain areas or say all oh, the music actually can it needs to be a bit longer here because we're going to do this the only downside i'd say of working during the editing phase of actually actively writing music is that especially now in the digital age you know you can be editing to right at the end and changing scenes visually yeah. right at the end but every yeah. scene cut or scene change for a composer can make a big difference with the music we're it's on a, we're in a linear temporal line when we're writing music so it's like it could change the chord progression so we sometimes have to rewrite the whole thing just if one scene has been changed a little bit mm -hmm. so my only thing with that i would say is i would only wait until it's close to cut yeah. and then some ch scenes are changing that's a faster process and mm -hmm. less stressful for the composer <laughs> Mm -hmm. Okay, I understand. I'm sure it's very time involving uh, everything that you have to do. Um, I was also wondering, um, so when I heard a few of your scores, uh, I, I <laughs> naively was thinking, wow, so where did you get all the orchestra <laughs> musicians? Um, and then you uh, illuminated me on the fact that it's not just working directly with the orchestra that, you, that, that helps you create music. So what are the, the, the ways you do? Create. And you mean like how do I create the score that it sounds like an orchestra? Or? Yeah. Yeah. 
so that's a and it's so yeah so that's it comes back to the music technology so for people out there uh there's a thing called uh, samples music library samples so um people in london or la or wherever they record each note of the violin doing okay. different articulations different octaves different dynamics loud soft and then they you basically then you put it into the computer so there are actual real notes but i'm putting them together how i want them to sound so so you're basically using um samples okay. so that's a lot of composers especially with budgets as budgets have gotten smaller and smaller more and more composers are using sample libraries to create orchestral sounds mm -hmm. uh, back in the day you know budgets were bigger so we actually had real orchestras so today it's um, a lot are actually now sampled. However, what a lot of people do, and I do myself, is even though you use the sample library, you record four musicians, one musician, I, sometimes I play the cello myself, mm -hmm. over, and you mix it all together. Okay. So it actually feels, sounds more real. There's something about having just a couple of real musicians playing mm -hmm. some of the lines, it gives it more life. So that's a way to get around budgets, let's say, to actually get a really good orchestral sound. Just pay for four musicians to do the score, beef it up with samples, and it will sound really, really good. Wow, that's, uh, that's incredible. I could talk to you about this uh, for a long time, but I have other questions lined up. Um, so um, I was just uh, wondering, yeah, you said a sampler library. So that means that you need to invest into certain equipment, uh, technology, uh, in order to do your job, correct? Um, so I was wondering just uh, how, like as, a, as somebody who's beginning, how do you go about that? How do you attract work to you to make money to invest into this equipment? Um, is that kind of a vicious circle there? There is, um, probably like yourself being cinematographer as well, like you, you have to lay out money initially mm -hmm. um, to start. I mean, you don't, there are ways, again, you don't have to have the most expensive libraries or every library under the sun. Just get one good library that you, you know how to use, one good microphone, and then you get the one musician. There's actually quite a lot you can do with minimal uh, it's still, yeah, yeah, you have to spend. I mean, you have to get a good microphone. I mean, that, that one there, you know, that's a, a decent microphone and that's like 800 euros and that's on the cheaper end. Okay. For, mm -hmm. for, for this kind of, for a condenser microphone that, for this quality. So unfortunately, yeah, there is a little bit of investment you need at the beginning. But I mm -hmm. suppose that's in most film endeavours really, isn't it? From editing for all the software that you need to the cameras as mm -hmm. well. Yeah. Okay, so uh, that's where I kind of envy screenwriters a little yeah. bit because <laughs> they don't need that much to, to put all their genius onto page, but um, they, yeah. they do have to have that amazing uh, tap to creativity. Well, but we all do really. <laughs> okay, um, so um, I wanted to next ask you, you mentioned that sometimes you work on projects that have placeholders. They, they've been editing to music that they like, uh, that you have not written. And uh, what, so what happens if a project comes to you and it's got this music and the director is in love with it and they want you to write that music, but obviously for much cheaper, <laughs> probably, than they than would be the rights to it. Um, what do you do then? Like, how do you go about that? Mm -hmm. 
Yes, that's that's a again a big thing we have as composers. We call it temp love. Um, <laughs> and see, temp is funny. Temp music it can be helpful. One thing it's really helpful for, and, and for people out there who are editors, directors, you know, temp music is good for tempo, the speed. Mm. It gives us the idea of okay, these this is the kind of beats per minute. Mm -hmm. energy that they're looking for these scenes so temp music does give you good information so then i'm like great so this is a this should be around about 95 bpm you know so that that's helpful mm -hmm. um but it just depends how married or how in love they are with the temp temp can give you i mean i prefer to have like some of the temp that's good is like the very generic sort of stuff if it's very specific like i worked in a film recently I won't mention any names, but like in LA, and there was a piece of music that's a very famous uh, classical piece of music, contemporary classical, and they were absolutely in love with it, which okay. rightly so. It's, it's one of my favorite composers and I loved it, but I, I really had to emphasize, I cannot copy this because yeah. I, can't, I can't sound like this person because, you know, copyright infringement, but also too, it's like, you just can't, you know, you just can't. So that was a battle. That took a lot, and that, that's, I hate to say, that's when I actually, that's the only time when I actually really put my foot down, not foot down, but I draw a line, I'm like, I'm only doing this. This is as close as I'm, I'm happy to get to this sound. I'm not going any further because I, I don't want to, you know, have any illegal issues down the road, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think temp is kind of a double-edged sword, I'd call it. Mm -hmm. It can be helpful, but if the directors and producers, everyone, if you can just see, understand that it's just temp music and you're just giving us an idea of sort of a mood and a tempo of how fast you want all the beats or things like that. Yeah. If you view it that way, that will be really helpful. Mm -hmm. okay. But it is a struggle. It can be a bit of a struggle. Wonderful. I have a question here from uh, uh, another person who didn't give us their name. But um, I just, uh, speaking of all the music, they're asking... Would you say that you have a specific style of music score composition? Um, do you think that a music composer needs to find their signature sound to help define them? Yeah. This is a question as well that I talk to my students every year about as well. And it's a big question. So this is something that at UCLA I was taught um, from very you know, accomplished composers. If you want work, you know, you can to be the jack of all trades. If you're the jack of all trades, you can sound like pretty much anything. You'll always have work because you, but you'll kind of never be known for anything, you know, for your sound mm -hmm. and you'll get work and you'll be fine. But then there's the other route of having just your unique sound. But the downside, I suppose, is that you're, it's going to be harder to find work. Um, and it's going to take longer, but it has a longer shelf life. So mm -hmm. I would say... For me, initially, like I can only say, I mean, again, this is a, a composer's choice. If they're pretty okay about doing, oh, yeah, I can do jazz or I can do this or I can do that. I'm happy enough. Happy days. That's fantastic. You know, mm -hmm. I kind of started off at the beginning actually doing pretty much everything because I wanted to experience, I, I wanted to see it as a learning experience. So I've just, I've done jazz scores. I did like 70s funk track, you know, I've done all sorts of, you know, <laughs> crazy stuff. But I, for, I, took the, I took it on, not just for the work for me, I just wanted to learn how to use the technology to make this sound, how to, to learn, what, what can I learn with, about this scene? And I learned a lot about how funk is written, how jazz is written, you know? 
But now, now that I feel like, okay, my education, I got my grounding, my, my foundation. Now it's more just sticking with my own voice. Mm-hmm. And I think in the long run, and a lot of like the PR people, we had, um, it was White Bear is a PR company for composers in the States. And mm-hmm. they were saying, it is probably long-term better to stick to your own voice. It's actually should, funny you should bring this up. For those composers who are listening, there was a, comp- a composing competition that the winner was announced last weekend, and it was composing a scene from Westworld. Oh, right, yes. Yeah, and basically it blew up into this. So the winner was announced, but the winner had a very quirky, unusual take on the score that people went up uproar. It was a complete uproar. Good uproar or bad uproar? No, people were like, uproar, how could this person win? This is terrible, or that, you know. <laughs> Oh, it was funny. It was like popcorn, soap opera, watching all the comments come in. It was really, it was mad. So, but... That clearly had their own voice. Exactly. And I think this was a thing of like, they had their own voice. Some people say it didn't work. Some people say it worked. It doesn't really matter in the end. I think I, I, I was like, kudos to them. They had their own voice. They won a competition out of 11,000 entries. Okay. So I'm like, hey, you know, it worked for them, whereas maybe sticking to what was expected wouldn't have got the judges' uh, attention. So, Mm -hmm. but then do you want to be that way out? You know what? I think the thing is just be you. I think just be you in whatever Mm -hmm. you do, be it composing, writing, directing. Mm -hmm. Be you and do it your way. That's, That's really good advice. Um, tell me, Natasha. So, what kind of what kind of music um, do you do you uh, lean towards? And also, since we're talking about films, what kind of genres do you like to to score and work with? Um, I I'm definitely more for drama. I that's my natural. I think I'm a little bit. No, I am. I'm melancholic. I'm yes. drawn to the melancholic. It's always happening. So, I like the drama. I don't. I don't really. I like action, intensity, drama. Mm-hmm. Comedy, probably. I've done comedy. Again, I did comedy. It's not my natural thing, but I have done it. I've done mm. a dark comedy. Uh, another thing about comedy, you know, if, if people are interested, as composers, play it straight. They always say, play comedy straight. Don't write comedic music. Actually write straight music, and it works a lot better. So there's a little little tidbit there. So, yeah, I think drama, definitely. My natural style would be, you know, I, I do write the big orchestral scores. I can do that, um, mm-hmm. the Hollywood sort of style. But I, my natural thing is I love the post-minimalists. I love like Philip Glass, mm-hmm. Max Richter. I love yeah, combining too. electronics with orchestral sounds. Like I did a, a score I just finished for a short film actually and I got the cello and I basically created the sounds, all the rhythmic sounds from the cello. Okay. So all the beats, every, you wouldn't know it's a cello, but all the beats came and everything came from one instrument. And I love doing stuff like that because it's like, it's different. It's mm-hmm. visual mm-hmm. and melodies and simplicity. I like actually much more a simple score. So mainly, yeah, if people know, they're like Philip Glass, Max Richter, mm-hmm. Olafu Arnold, who's done a few uh, films recently, but he comes from more of a kind of, a, I don't want to say pop music, electronic music genre. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to say that that question about film genres from, was uh, from a friend of ours, Anna Tarska, 
Oh, yes. Thank you yes. so much for that question. So I wanted to ask you, I, I remember um, speaking to you uh, in the past and just kind of going about showreel. So as a cinematographer, I, I usually, first thing I do when, when somebody approaches me, I present a showreel because people can't watch, uh, you know, all of the films that I've shot. So how does it work for you uh, in film composition, music composition? Do you have a showreel or do you have something else? I do actually, I do have an old showreel, but I have to re redo a new one. Just takes time, doesn't it? <laughs> so yeah, a showreel with, um, so you can do an audiovisual showreel. And what you do is you try and put, it should only be about two minutes long, not to be too long. Mm -hmm. And have maybe say... 30 seconds, 40 seconds of each kind of film that you want to show. And what the best thing to do is I would suggest is you put, firstly, you put the piece of music um, that's very uniquely you. Okay. That's, that's, you know, if you start with Hollywood, Disney, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, heard this before. <laughs> and I won't watch the rest of it. So you put your, your thing that's actually quirky, a little bit weird, it's you, and then you, then you show... The other stuff that you do as well which could be the Hollywood stuff or the romance or whatever but mm -hmm. start with something that's going to grab them first mm -hmm. so there's showreels but also what I do a lot of actually is playlists so I use disco and and I have an agent too that's the other thing too it's good to have an agent <laughs> okay. so you know they introduce a lot of people but you send I just send playlists and have descriptions of what the music's like because sometimes you want them to actually listen to your music and not be distracted by the visuals Oh, yes. If you do a showreel. So, which is different, obviously, to your work. Yes. Okay. Your, but they're actually, they're actually the, the choice of music is very important. And uh, I, I, I've actually been struggling with finding the right piece of music for my showreel. So <laughs> maybe that's where I could benefit from talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Natasha, you just said, you just said uh, how to uh, get an agent. At which point can you get an agent as a music composer? It's usually, you, you only get an agent when the agent feels that you would benefit them. Okay. <laughs> much, which, it makes sense. So, usually they come to you. I, my agents that I'm with, they actually contacted me. So, I would suggest for people out there, um, and maybe it goes with acting the same way, I don't know, but really work hard at just getting lots of work, putting it out on social media, get a... Get a not a name or, you know, get as much work as you can and maybe a bit of a name, a bit of a following or whatever. And then the agent will see, okay, this person's doing well because mm -hmm. you give a percentage. What I get, I give a percentage to the agent. So it has to be this mutually beneficial thing, mm -hmm. which makes sense. Absolutely. So I would say it takes time. You don't get an agent straight away. You have to have a body of work. I mean, I did things like um, earlier on, I did concerts. I actually put on concerts of film music and then I put my own music in and that got a lot of uh, attention. I'm sorry, I'm maybe I'm a, uh, I'm a bit slow here. How do you, you put on a concert as in you, you hired an orchestra? Yeah, yeah. I got, well, it was a, a small ensemble. So I did mm -hmm. two concerts actually, one in the Sugar Club and it was a, a gaming school. So it was like we had Bioshock, Final Fantasy, Journey and oh. then films such as Psycho. So it was with um, Tater Orchestra which is the Trinity string section from a few years back. Mm -hmm. So if you can get something like that together. And then you, you invited uh, the, the, uh, the guests that you wanted. 
Uh, no, so that was just an open public thing, okay. but it gets, but it is, but then you put in your own piece of music. So I did another one called Minimal Film, and that was with Kirkos Ensemble, and we did minimalist composers, films such as Michael Nyman's Piano, Philip Glass's The Hours, and that was just, and then I put one of my own pieces, which is a minim, post-minimalist piece as well. But that way you get exposure, and they're like, oh, you know, it's on, say, in the Journal of Music, it's on online everywhere so and then people have come to the concert so a way to kind of generate some sort of following or exposure mm-hmm. is present your work but mix it in with some other famous people to get, <laughs> to get more people to come to your concert so that's what I did all that kind of stuff and then they contacted me so. mm-hmm. brilliant uh thank you I have two really nice uh like interesting questions here uh, I'm just gonna ask Caroline's first and then I'm gonna go to Sarah Kinlan who is, is a friend. Um, so Caroline Cray, again, I hope I'm saying her name correctly. She is asking, what is the difference between the LA scene and the Irish scene? And as a follow-up, how do you get a foot in the door with games? Okay, so difference between LA and Ireland. It's obviously a big, a big difference. And we actually, Yara and I talked about this and this is what I probably mean by what if you, if you can, and I know it sounds so, you don't have to, but it did help me definitely. Being in LA, um, you just get exposed to the standards in top level film scoring. So it's, 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 it's the players, it's, so for example, I was really taught, because I was trained in LA, I was taught to produce really good demos. So when people ask for a demo, it's as good as the real thing. It's not this kind of sketch, you know, so when I noticed when I came back to Ireland and I'd send people demos, when they asked me, they were like, oh my gosh, this is not a demo. This is like the finished product. So mm-hmm. that's an LA thing. So I think that helped me stand out a little bit here because mm-hmm. we just, we're not, you know, not, wasn't as expected here. Whereas in LA, if you give a demo that doesn't sound polished in production, you won't get the job, you know? So yeah. I think in LA, the competition is so much fiercer. You really have to lift your game. So okay. that's probably, I'm not saying that we're not lifting our game here. It's just, it's more pressurized. And so actually coming back here was lovely. It was like, oh gosh, you know, I can relax <laughs> a little bit. Because <laughs> people are just more, it's a different, it's a slower pace. Whereas in LA, it is like, boom, keep going, keep going. But mm-hmm. that was good training. It was good training because, you know, I learned deadlines. I learned how to be, professional over there in the industry so it was a really good training ground so the differences would be though as from a film composing point of view is that there are a lot of projects in LA so you have you will get more projects in LA more bigger budgets absolutely than you will here just the budgets are smaller Mm -hmm. however what I've noticed is I think you get noticed here quicker you can climb that I don't know why I don't even call it a ladder, but, you know, climb that exposure ladder or whatever quicker here because it's a smaller community. Mm-hmm. People talk, you can meet people really easily. Whereas in LA, there is so many people. How do you stand out? So I was cut. That's what I meant for me. Even though I wanted to stay to LA, I had to come here, but it actually worked out because mm-hmm. I felt that I got different projects that I don't think I would have if I'd been one of thousands in LA. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think there's and, another part to that question. I forgot. Yeah, it, 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 it's a, how do you get a foot in the door with games? Gaming. Uh, biggest thing is game developers conference. Again, here's the cost of like outlaying money to attend 
go to San Francisco and it's so expensive. It's in, you can get a cheaper ticket for about 150, 200 euros, um, but it's the networking there. It's everyone networks, parties, coffees. So I would say going to game conferences is a big thing. But how does that, how does going to San Francisco to a conference get you jobs if you live in Dublin? Because a lot of everyone comes from all over the world. Like people from Dublin would go there, people from all over Europe. It's pretty much the epicenter of gaming uh, developers. So there is a smaller one here. And so I'd say if you don't have the money, go to the smaller one here. I can't remember where it is somewhere. Is it Cologne? or Anyway, there's, one, there's a game, uh, GDC here in Ireland too. So there's that. Another way is score, uh, write music to a game trailer that you really like. Mm-hmm. and just send it to um, a few gaming companies. Actually, not a few, a lot, because that's a thing. Yeah. The more you send out, the more you're going to get back. So mm-hmm. send, send a trailer that you've done with your own music. And what you do is you tailor that trailer to your style of music, and you don't send it to every gaming company. Send it to a gaming company that is doing games and music like that. Yes. That's, mm-hmm. You've got to really do research. It takes a long time to do research. So I would say one network as many game developer places as you know even here as well it's smaller but network go to game conferences go out with them all the time and Mm -hmm. do a trailer game trailer wonderful i hope we answered that for you caroline um and now um i know it's seven o'clock but is it okay for you to stay with us a little bit longer for questions from from uh the audience yeah if if there's People still there? Yes, <laughs> there are. And we really thank you, everybody, for attending. Um, so I would like to ask you a question now from Sarah Kinlan. Uh, I know Sarah uh, um, from a movie called In Orbit, um, which you mm-hmm. might actually be familiar with. It had a beautiful score from uh, Emer Kinsella. Yeah, uh, and Sarah uh, acted in one of the roles, and she also wrote a song that appears in the, in the film. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, so she has a question for you. I am wondering if you have any advice, Natasha, for a singer-songwriter who would like to write songs for film. Any advice? Um, yes, yes. The best way to get your any sort of um, singer-songwriter music is to try and get your, your music into music libraries. So, for mm-hmm. example, um, Avant Music Port, which represent me, also have... Um, represent bands, musicians, um, singer-songwriters, and what they do is they help place uh, songs, sync songs to film, to TV, to whatever. So I think if you want to get that in your music in film in particular, or you know anything visual, put it into a few music libraries. Again, do the research to make sure that you know because some music libraries have a particular niche sound. So if you're if your sound doesn't fit in that library, don't send it because it won't get used. Mm-hmm. But again, too, it's exposure as well. And I know it's hard now because of the situation, but to get a bit of a following too, you yeah. know, playing okay. lots of gigs, playing lots of gigs, which I know for the next, who knows how long we can't. But so now I would do if I was, um, if I was her, is just send your stuff to a lot of music libraries. Check the contracts though. Really look at the contracts to see if it's exclusive or non-exclusive percentages sync license sync licenses before signing anything okay all right so i hope uh, that was sufficient sara um could you just say the you mentioned avant port that's your rep so that that would be sorry, avant music port uh, 
Yes. So that would be one resource where she could have a look. Yes. Yes, absolutely. All right. Okay. We have a, another question here from somebody we know, Patricia Kelly. Thanks oh, hi. <laughs> for joining us. That's how I met you. You scored her short film, When Possible, Take a U-Turn. And I fell in love with your score there. And that's when I thought I need to, I need to meet you. Um, so she's saying, do you, Natasha, collaborate with other composers on the same project? Or is it always the one composer? What happens sometimes actually happened to me. Normally, no, no. Normally, I don't co-write. Co I'd be open to it. There's a you have to be. You have to be a person that I gel with well, and can we can work together. I try and not do it, but there's a couple of things that um, fellow composer and I did go for together because I know that I can work with them. So it's probably something I'd probably do in the future, especially for the bigger, the bigger scores. When you, mm -hmm. especially, I mean, this is the thing, you know, there's additional music. That's another, I actually just finished additional music for an LA film, mm -hmm. um, which means that, well, in this case, um, and again, not mentioning anything, this case that the composer and the director just did not get along at all and had a really tough time. And okay. so I was brought in to finish the film. Oh, wow. And, and is that difficult when you, when you have, some, have to finish someone else's vision or, you know, ideas? It was because I kind of, I wanted to make sure I stayed in the same sound, which we, we did, which is good. Um, and also you feel bad or not bad, but you just like, you know, that it was a, it was a difficult situation for everyone, but we got it done. We got it done in the end. But that mm -hmm. sometimes happens that you're brought into, I, I do rescue, I have done a few rescue scores, I call them. So where it's been <laughs> scored, yeah, where it's been scored by somebody else and it didn't work out and it's not in any way. It's just, you know, every score is fantastic. I always say everyone's music is fantastic, but sometimes it just doesn't fit, maybe doesn't work as well um, for that particular picture. So I do do rescores as well. I have done a few. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, working with collaborating with anyone, only if I really know them and we work well together. Yes, I, I, I would. Okay. Now, I, I, I assume like this, that goes with uh, anyone in the film industry. There are just some people that you will click with, yeah. uh, some that you will try with and uh, then decide to part ways. And I think it's all part of the learning process. It's uh, learning, uh, just communicating. I feel like with every director I work with, it's like learning a new language. You know, uh, and so I, I absolutely understand that. Uh, and it's, in the end, I feel like it's always in the project's best interest. You're trying to, you're all kind of going for the same final goal, and that is to complete that movie and do yes. the best for it. So, yes, wow. But uh, you've been there to finish a few. That's that's a really yeah. uh, unique experience. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I uh, uh, I wanted to ask you, Natasha. So uh, the trailer that you showed us at the start of this conversation that was composed for Screen Ireland. How did you come to that? How did it come your way? Well, it was one of those things that, so I'm part of the Screen Composers Guild of Ireland, which are fabulous, it's fabulous group um, of composers and that's um, Sarah Glenane helps uh, spearhead that. So there was a call because there's, I think this is a thing and this is great that we're doing this as well. And I hope there's lots of directors and producers watching because there's so many very talented Irish composers here in Ireland. Um, and that's what this, the Guild is trying to kind of make connections with producers and directors to say, we do have a wealth of really talented 
musicians and, and composers here and to use more Irish composers mm -hmm. um, for Irish production. And so uh, that was one of the things is they put out a call for Irish composers to submit music Mm -hmm. to do the trailer and I was very fortunate they chose mine and so that's how it how it happened. Wonderful, wonderful and then I also mentioned that you're currently working on The Great Hunger. I know it's being made now so is, is there much you can tell us about it or should we keep it hush? I, I can say a little, I did ask the director what can I say and what can I, what I can't <laughs> say. So it's, it's basically a documentary series Mm -hmm. um about the famine all right okay um, and it's great it's i mean that's probably all i can really say but i yeah it's for rte and art I don't know rte rte or, yeah. as well and other um distribution uh companies so yeah it, that's been a great really interesting it's quite a big score and it's mm -hmm lots of emotion and it's been great working with them it really has but that's what i can really say actually <laughs> i think it'll be that's about it it will be shown i think i think it's november i think so keep it so how, how did that come your way that was so funny that was just one of those phone calls you're like just some they rang my mobile and i was like hello you know <laughs> oh yeah we want you to you know do it. i was like oh yeah sure sure you know and you're just like oh yeah and I'm like, oh my gosh, you did that. that never happens that someone just calls you out of the blue and like, we like your music, we've been listening to it, we'd love you to work with us. It was a dream, a dream situation and they're so lovely and I'm just glad that, you know, it's so nice when someone contacts you purely because they've listened to your work and obviously like you for being a cinematographer, mm -hmm. that they've seen your work and they're like, this is going to work so well for us, would you like oh, to work with us? That's wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. And uh, so, so, um, I, I have two more questions for you and we'll see if we get received more from our listeners. Um, I remember when we touched on the showreels, you know, and you were giving advice on how to, how to build a showreel as a film comp music composer. I also remember you told me once that scoring a short film or having a few short films is better than having scored one feature film. Uh, could mm -hmm. you just elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. This was a big thing that I came, and again, maybe this goes for everyone, directors, producers, actors, everything, is, you know, I had this thing of like, oh, you know, I've got to get a feature. I've got to get this feature. I've got to get a feature. I've got to get a feature. And I got this advice from actually a director, Australian director in LA. He's um, Peter Cornwell. He mm -hmm. did Cornwell. Anyway, he did A Haunting in Connecticut, if anyone knows that film. I did quite well. But he and another producer, they both, I don't know, just came up in conversation and he was like, better to do good quality short films than mm -hmm. a feature film that's, that you're not really, that's not what you want to do. Because he's like, you could spend two months doing a feature film that you don't really like, or maybe it's not the quality that you want or whatever. Okay. Whereas in that two, three months time, you're going to get, potentially you could do four short films. And the other thing with short films, and other producers have said this as well, people watch a lot of short films. You can watch four or five short films in, you know, what, an hour and a half or an hour, depending on the length. So you're more likely to get your name out if you're doing really good short films that are being shown at festivals. Because mm -hmm. a lot of features are made, but how many actually get into festivals and to showcase your work? So that's the approach I took. 
I, I really, and I love short films. I think there you get to really do a whole bunch of different styles you, and you meet lots of people. That's the other thing. You meet lots of people, you work with lots of people, you create a lot of different types of music. Whereas if you are in a feature, I mean, and I'm saying a feature like, oh, it's a good feature. Definitely do a few, a few things. <laughs> oh, yeah, go for it. But I'm, I mean, I'm talking about when you're starting out and you're like that slash horror feature that, you know, I hate to say it, but you know, that you spend two, three months of your life on that. Mm-hmm. and you might not even enjoy it I would say wait for a good feature that you really want to do and do mm-hmm. tons of short films in the meantime that's that's a, that's really interesting I try to go kind of compare that to my situation Um I guess maybe that's slightly different because in order to shoot something and shoot it well uh, there needs to be money invested into you know crew you know, working with really good experienced crew in the camera and lighting department and also having access to to good equipment can elevate your game as a DOP. Of course, it's not all of it, but mm. um, I feel I feel that when it comes to short films with that, that often are low budget or no budget, there isn't that kind of progression. How how do you build up to something better if if you constantly shooting shooting with like as if a painter was painting with one color? You know, mm-hmm. I am I am simplifying it for sure, but um, there is a truth to it. So, but for you, it's a bit different because you have once you invest into the technology, into the library, sound library, you then have a, a whole uh, like world of sounds to help you compose something different yes. each time, regardless of how much it costs to shoot the film. Yes, because yeah. I guess because we're always post. So it's just okay. a, it's a different, uh, it's harder on your end, definitely to, to do the same. Yeah, but I'm glad that it's easier for you. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to say, like, I, to any encouragement, like, Ireland comes out with great short films. Like, I, you know, I go to LA and I see some of their short films and I'm like, how's it better? <laughs> you know, we, we actually do, you know, punch above our weight in mm. Ireland. I think we do some wonderful stuff. So I think... Yeah. Let's just keep keep working away. I know, like in in the Czech Republic, where I'm from, short films aren't almost they are almost no, non-existent. Nobody shoots them; they don't have any value oh, there. Wow! And so uh, if you if you study to become a director of photography, you tend to go straight to shooting to a feature, um, wow. or, or maybe you you shoot something for uh, TV, like a TV drama or something like that. So short films, I find are very unique to Ireland, even though they are shot in other countries as well. But here it really could be the ticket to being discovered. Definitely for directors. I had a producer here in Ireland who said that that's how they find directors that they want to work with. Mm -hmm. They sit down and they watch a whole bunch of um, short films and and to see their work. And that director who told me that advice, he did an amazing short film. He did short film, an amazing short film. And that one short film propelled him to LA yeah. and his career yeah. so yeah I think don't underestimate the short film okay and um, can I ask you since we're we are women in film and television I I do have this sneaky question for you would you say that being a woman has helped or hindered your career progress <laughs> or um, it's just irrelevant it could be 
because we've talked a lot about this. Like, we had a yeah, great time. And, and everyone tells me, wow, there is a music composer that's a woman. And everybody <laughs> was shocked when, you know, when I said I met you and I wanted to talk to you. So, so that's why I'm asking. I think like, like you were saying too, one thing I really noticed, I mean, I went into music just probably blinkered just naive or whatever I don't know what you want to call it so I didn't realize that I that was anything when when I started to get in actually more in LA people going oh you're a female and you're a composer and I was like well I guess I am like it, it, it never never occurred to me it actually it honestly didn't I don't know why maybe like I said blinkered or naive or whatever and it was only then that I started to notice and to, to think oh my gosh there's you know there's like one or two percent female film composers in LA. It's a tiny percentage. Um, does it help? Sorry? I oh, just said, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's very cool. Um, almost like cinematographers. There are kind of two. I, I think I, it's very rare to come across female cinematographers as well. It's, hmm. yeah, it's, I don't know. It's just funny, maybe the perceptions and things like that. I don't know. Of, but I think... I don't know, is it a help or a hindrance? I'm mm. not sure. I think... Or maybe neither. Oh, neither. You know what? Again, this is a, a bit of advice from Dervla when I first, when I, when I saw her when I came back and it stuck with me. And she was just like, just ignore it. <laughs> ignore it. You know, ignore the idea of, oh, you know, am I, am I losing that job because I'm a female? You mm. don't know. I mean, the, and I've talked to actually, there's, a, um, there's an orchestrator called Conrad Pope who works with John Williams and mm -hmm. Conrad Pope's wife, we talked about this and she was like, how do you know if you're being discriminated against? You don't know. You don't know why you lost that job. So there's no point in thinking about it. So I think that's a thing I would suggest for all of us as females is just do the job, ignore it. You know, don't, don't even have it in your head. Wonderful. That you're female, just, just do the work. Whether it's been a help or not, I don't know. Maybe, it, I think it has in some ways that you stand out because you are female. I'll remember you. <laughs> That's amazing. I just love that you kind of brought it back to uh, uh, Dervla, and I think that's a perfect way to end. Thank, yeah. thank you for having me. I, I, I hope it was interesting for everybody, and um, thank you. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye. Until the next time, thank you for listening. For more content, podcasts and information, please visit our website at wft.ie.